like our God, no one as great and as awesome as our Lord Jesus. And so I am thankful to be here because, one, I'm going to just be honest with y'all, it's increasingly hard not to really engage in worship, like, like get it in, you know what I'm saying? Uh, because I got to get up here and speak sometimes. I'm like, I got to conserve my energy. And so the worship team, man, they really blessed us today. So let's give it up for them, man. Because I was, I, I was struggling. Not to be like, hey, you know, all that. give you all of that. Take a couple of laps. Amen. But uh, seriously, but I am, I'm thankful to have you all the guests. Uh, this is a special Sunday. We do have baptism, as Pastor James has said. And this is a, I love this Sunday because we get to hear people's testimonies of those who have come to know Jesus and experienced his power. And so today, man, that excites me. I am thrilled to get to hear those testimonies and see folk get dipped. Amen. Um, if you would, why don't you uh, open your Bibles up to John uh, chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 1. Uh, when you get there, say amen. When you get there, say, I'm sorry, I think say, say amen. Hey, brother, brother up here tired a little bit, so y'all pray for me. Amen. All right, I'm going to read, starting at verse 1 um, to verse 5. And this is uh, Jesus' words. Uh, for some of y'all, if y'all Bibles are in red, that means it's Jesus' words. Amen. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener, or vine dresser in some versions. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it would produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produce much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, uh, God, uh, for your grace uh, today because <laughs> that's why we're all here. It's your amazing grace, God, that has invaded our lives. And, and, and you've gotten our attention through your grace, through, through your uh, 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 sacrifice on the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection. And now, God, you have our attention. You have our hearts, Father. Now mold them. Do with our hearts what you want to do, Lord. Let us not withhold what is rightfully yours today. God, I pray that you hide me behind your cross. Uh, I have nothing good to say, but thus saith what you say, God. So be in me, Lord, as you already are, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and let your Spirit speak to those who have ears to hear. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated, amen. I was about six, when I was about six years old, I had this dream, and it might sound trivial to you guys, but I had this dream to be really tall, amen? No, no, I really wanted to be really, really tall, and some of y'all are laughing, and maybe some of y'all think that's not very ambitious, but I was six years old. At six, some of y'all wanted to be unicorns, right, amen? Some of y'all actually wanted to live on Sesame Street, amen? So don't judge me, that's what I'm saying. I'm around about six foot one, give or take an inch, uh, you know, depending on which shoes I'm wearing. Um, but that ain't tall to me. 
What I wanted to be is I wanted to be a giant. I wanted to be seven foot and above. I wanted to be dunking on folk. You know what I'm saying? And so in my six-year-old mind, I thought the best way to get there was, you know, uh, is, to, is to drink milk. Drink a lot of milk, in fact. Because, you know, back in the old days, it said milk does your body good. Amen? It was supposed to strengthen your bones and lengthen your bones. I felt like that's the best way to grow. And, you know, I, I came up with some ideas because I'm, I'm a scientist, amen, and I like to experiment. So I used to hang from a bar, and I, I used to try to stretch myself, and I'm like, yo, come on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get taller. I used to crack my knuckles thinking I was making space for my bones to grow, you know, that kind of thing. Again, I'm a scientist. But my science didn't work, amen. <laughs> I, I was frustrated that I couldn't grow. I wanted to be seven feet. And here's the thing. Y'all might be judging me, but, hey, Mo, you could have just Googled it. I'm old enough where Google didn't always exist, Amen. I had encyclopedias, and the brother didn't like to read, so it wasn't going to go right there. And so here's the thing. I know I'm being humorous about growth, and I'm, being, I, I, I'm making fun of my six-year-old self, but I believe that's most people's experience in the Christian life. Uh, you, you try to do everything to grow. You try to do everything to mature, but guess what? You end up feeling frustrated and disappointed. You try to do it in your own strength, Right? You try to do it within your own resources, and you end up tired and exhausted. Pastor Tim said something great last week. He talked about how we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, a life of fruitfulness, that God has called us and empowered us to live that way. If you are a believer here, you have access to that power, don't you? To live the life that God has called you to live, to, to, to live a life of fruitfulness, but How? First of all, I want to tell you, don't be like six-year-old me. None of y'all are scientists, right? <laughs> well, some of y'all might be, but y'all can't make that happen no matter what. Amen. I, I want you to know is that you, what you can't do is depend on your own wisdom or your own resources. The only way you can produce growth in your life or produce what God wants you to have in your life is through him. God has called you to live a fruitful life, and you can't, and here's the bottom line, you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. He is the only source to pull from, to produce fruit, and you have to stay connected to Jesus. So what I want to give you is two points. Y'all know I love two points. If I go three, y'all going to be here for three hours, amen? So I'm going to give you two points, the potential of fruitfulness and the process. I mean, the potential of fruitfulness and the process of fruitfulness. Today we find ourselves where in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is really interesting because it was the last gospel written. And it's the one gospel that has this clear mission statement. We read that in verse, uh, 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 chapter 20, verse 31, where it says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What the gospel does and how it's orchestrated and how it's arranged is through chapter 1 through 12, you have seven miracles that Jesus performs to prove that he is the Messiah. So it's trying to prove who Jesus is. When we get to chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples in a room. And he's teaching his disciples some stuff. One, that's when Judas, like, he, cut, he cut out on him and betrayed him. Two, he just told his disciples, I'm about to leave. So they're in this tumultuous state, and he's like, man, I, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. But just like many of us, when God promises something like the Holy Spirit, we're like, man, no, but I want you here, God. I don't want your spirit. And we don't live by his spirit. We live by our own means. Amen. 
And so they're looking like, hey, how am I going to live this Christian life? How am I going to do this without you present, Jesus? And so Jesus is teaching them what it means to be a disciple, what it means to live for him, right? What it means to, to follow him in this world, because this world is scary, isn't it? It's hard to live for Jesus in this world, isn't it? So many pressures, so many trials, so much suffering. Man, Jesus, if this, is, if this is what I get for following you, maybe I need to try another way. Amen? Amen, oh me. Because that's how many of us feel in this room. We could be lying to ourselves. We can try to deceive ourselves. It's not easy to follow Jesus. So many cultural pressures, so many things that people want us to believe. Following Jesus is difficult, and the disciples knew this, and Jesus knew this is going to be tough for his disciples after he left. So what he did is he promised the Holy Spirit, but he also is teaching them, man, hey, this is what it means to be my disciple. And and when we get to our text today, Jesus and his 11 disciples, because Judas just kicked kicked rocks, are, are on the way to the garden, and he's teaching them the path to a fruitful life. Living a life that shows that they are Jesus' disciples. So Jesus starts by sharing the potential of fruitfulness. The only way to produce fruit is getting connected to Jesus or getting attached to Jesus. Jesus starts this, ver- uh, this, this, uh, this chapter by saying, I am the true vine. It's a weird statement, isn't it, right? But here's the thing. Let me, let me give you maybe an illustration that might show you what he's trying to say. He's saying, I am the true vine. You know, uh, when we talk about, like, sneakers, and I love sneakers, uh, one of the things I, I, I hate is this, this new sneaker culture. Why? Because it's really hard to get the sneakers I want. How many of you guys have taken L's on the sneakers app? Amen? Yeah, thank you. Amen. So when you hit, you feel like Jesus is really with you. Amen? You're like, you feel blessed. Amen. <laughs> And you got two choices, because you, you, if you don't get them right then, you can either buy them at an inflated, really high price, not retail. If you got the hookup, let me know. Holler at me when after this. Amen. Or you can do something, eh, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about, who knows who are into sneakers. You can get them reps, right? You can get them fakes. You can get them, what we used to call them back in the day, them bootleg joints, right? I ain't against that. Can I be real with you? But here's a, um, don't, don't, hey, don't tell Nike, amen. Uh, but here's the thing, you want, you want them so bad that you'll even settle for fakes. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I'm not a fake, and don't settle for fakes. He's saying, I'm the real Lord, I am the Savior, I'm the true source of salvation and life and nourishment, I'm the genuine article. And everything else is bootleg. Let's break this statement down. Let's start with this phrase, I am. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. Don't you look out like this, this, this list, like the seven, the, the number of completion, another seven, right? And it discloses something about him, himself, his nature, and his mission. These I am statements are essentially claims to be God, if you don't know about that. So in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3.14, and he commissioned, when he commissioned Moses to free his people from slavery. God named himself, right, when in that burning bush experience. And he said, and Moses was like, who, who, who should I say sent me? And he said, I, say, tell him, I am sent you. This was a statement about his existence, his nature, that God doesn't depend on anyone or anything. God simply is. 
He holds all power for your existence and everything in existence. God is the most, power, is the most powerful being in the, in, in, the, in the universe, in the galaxies. That's what he's getting at. I hold all power, and they were created by my word. You know, when in the beginning of uh, John, he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word is God. That's what he's talking about. Jesus is the living word. He is the I am. Before anything else existed on this earth, Jesus existed. He is before all things. All, through created, all things were created in him and by him and through him. The most unique thing about Jesus is he's the only religious leader who claimed to be God and actually proved it by his death, burial, and resurrection. He's the only God who did that. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I am the true vine. And Psalm 80 helps kind of unpack that for us. In the Old Testament, I want you all to know this, that God always, well, very frequently referred to his people as a vineyard or a vine. So especially in the books of the prophets, we see this. In this psalm, Israel is referred to a vine that God brought out of Egypt and planted in the promised land, where God nourished them and they flourished. But if you read further, this psalm becomes a cry for help. It becomes a plea and a prayer to God for restoration of the, of the vine. God removed his hand of protection from them. Why, though? Because of their unfaithfulness and their disobedience. What it caused them is to live unfruitful uh, and in a desolate place. That There was no fruit for them, right? They, they didn't bear any blessing anymore because they were unfaithful. People ravaged them and took their fruit according to this psalm. And this is what happens. The psalmist cries out to God to do something, to restore the vine, so that his people would flourish and they would bear fruit. He calls for his people, uh, for, he calls for God to send someone who would be a king, who would lead them. It was that Jesus is saying, I'm the king in the lineage of David, who has come to restore and to revive the vine. I have come to restore and revive my people. Actually, what he's saying, I am the vine. I'm the only way to true life. I'm the only way. He says in an I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through who? Him. If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus or you don't know God, the only way to get to God is through Jesus. If you're still here unsure about where you're at with the Lord, and you're like, man, I want to know how to get closer to God, it's only through Jesus, the only one who has the power of life in his hand to redeem you, to, to restore you, to revive you, is Jesus. Amen. It's funny that Christians should be shouting at this. We should be celebrating this because this is what saved us. This is what redeemed us. And we don't, get, we don't go past the gospel. We live in it. Amen? Jesus is revealing himself to, as God in the flesh who has come to bring life and to revive the dead and to nourish his people to do one thing, though, to do something, to produce fruit. Jesus came to give life, and he came to give it abundantly. Salvation is not a gift, a, a, a get-out-of-free-hell card. It's about uniting and connecting to Christ by faith that you find life and nourishment to produce fruit. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't just to forgive us of our sins, but to unite him to ourself and to gather to himself a people, the kingdom of God, so that we would worship him and live a fruitful life. The only way you can live a fruitful life, the only way you can produce a fruitful life, the only way you can have fruit in your life or even grow and mature 
is if you are united to Christ by faith. The potential of you producing fruit, the potential that you have to produce fruit, fruit has to start with you, by you knowing Jesus. You can't bear fruit apart from him. See, one of the unique aspects of this I am statement is and this is the last I am statement that Jesus makes. And it's the first statement that, he, that the Father is present in, uh, present in. Let me say that a little clearly. And he is identified as the gardener. And I think the gardener is a little bit too generic. Um, reason why, because when you look at a gardener, man, you're like, well, they do all this stuff. But in some versions, it says the vine dresser because he's an expert at the vine. In verse 2, you see another uh, character pop up. It's the branches. And in verse 5, they, they're identified as, as his disciples. There are two types of disciples in this text, ones that are bearing fruit and ones that are not. Now, here we go. Both branches are connected to the vine. We know that in verse 2 because it says, in me. Both branches are believers. They are in Christ and are connected to him. But at this point, one is producing fruit and one is not. Notice the flow of the verses, and it's going to be up here on the screen. The the flow of the verses, because this is important. There is a progression from verse 2 to verse 5. The disciples uh, goes from producing no fruit to some fruit to more fruit, and then verse 5 to much fruit. At times, especially in our, when we early on in our Christian life or when we first meet Jesus, we don't produce fruit. I can look back at my, my history, my Christian history, and I was living really wild out there, I'll be honest. I wasn't living for Jesus fully, but I still knew him. I, I wasn't tapped into the vine fully because I wasn't, well, my life and my, the resources I, I was giving was in my own strength to try to live this life. And that's what Tim touched on last week. There are times in which we as believers can be fruitless in our lives. We can live in our own strength and our own resources. We are pulling from, not pulling from the power of Jesus. Even though God has provided everything we need, we live like we don't have access to it. My point is, at some point in your life, you're supposed to be bearing fruit. Verse 6 is still a reality. If you want to read further, verse 6 is still a reality. And if you read the parable of the fig tree, you'll understand this too, that at some point, you will bear fruit if you're a Christian. I'm not saying when it's going to be and what season it's going to be, but at some point, God should be producing something in you through being connected to the vine. Producing fruit gives you the assurance that you are united to Christ. Let me say that again. If you want to be sure that you're a Christian, look at the tree and the fruit that's coming off your tree. You want assurance of your salvation? Look what life is being produced through you. Is it Jesus or is it your own flesh? Is it good or is it evil? Is it Satan or is it God? In our text today, and even in the parable of the fig tree, it's the vine dresser's work that makes sure the branches are pulling from the source to produce fruit. Your potential for you to produce fruit as a Christian is not based on your work, but the work of God in your life. He cultivates the branches. He examines them. He does whatever it takes for each branch to produce fruit. When you are looking to have growth in your life, it comes, and when it comes to being fruitful, it's the continual presence of God's work in your life that is allowing you to produce fruit. God's an expert at this work. That's why he's the vine dresser. He is persistent in his work. So so if you're constantly wondering what God is up to in your life, you're constantly wondering what God's will for your life is, it's for you to produce fruit. If you're wondering what the Holy Spirit is up to, if you're wondering, man, man, God, what are you calling me to? 
is to produce fruit. Stop wondering what your purpose is. Your purpose is to produce fruit. Church, I hope you're with me. Because if you don't get that, then that's going to be problematic for what you believe, what you're here and you're called to do in your life. What I'm getting at is your life, what your life should be looking like and what you should be getting out of your life is what Jesus has infused in your life. Amen? He is infusing your life, his presence through the Holy Spirit. And it's through the Spirit we bear fruit. And if you are connected to the vine, then you should be uh, uh, growing a particular type of fruit. Here's the thing. God is not just concerned if you uh, bear some, uh, a lot of fruit. He's concerned if you, what kind of fruit you're bearing on your tree. I believe, uh, particularly among Christians, there's a lot of confusion what a fruitful life looks like. Uh, For a lot of us, we are all over the place when we talk. If I said, hey, what does a fruitful look like? And and we did a poll, and I believe it would come with a whole bunch of, and a gamut of answers. And it would look like an episode of Family Feud. Survey said, no, no. (laughs) You know, I'm allowed to speed Harvey, so I could actually play the part, amen? And I believe what God wants to do is leave us less confused through his word. And I believe what God is trying to do is saying your reference point to fruitfulness can't come from what society says or what culture says. It has to come from me. Look at our Christian culture. Most of us believe fruitfulness looks like good health, wealth, and success. Fruitfulness on social media looks like good branding, doesn't it? Am I, am I saying the truth or not? It's not faithfulness. It's not holiness. It's not people's lives being transformed or people being set free and healed. Fruitfulness looks like, in our culture, a popularity contest. Not people in the trenches praying for one another and sacrificially living for one another. Fruitfulness looks like, in our culture, uh, who can gather the biggest following a crowd. Not people forgiving one another and repenting of sin. Fruitfulness looks like we got a bigger facility. Look at the the church I go to and a popular pastor and look what he's got on. I hope I look good today. But look what he's got on. It's not people receiving salvation, communities being transformed, injustice work. We look at fruitfulness as fake smiles, people hiding behind fake smiles with, with cheerful expressions. People just smiling, hey, brother, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. I'm blessed and highly favored, sister. Now people are overcoming depression. We look at Christianity in our country and it has more to do with a facade than real gospel change and transformation. Christian fruitfulness in our culture looks nothing like Jesus. But what we see in his word, the question for everyone in here is, does your life look like you're attached to Jesus? Does your life look like you're attached to Jesus? And look, I love God because he doesn't want us, he doesn't want us to be confused. And here's a list in the Bible that I'm about to give you right now of what fruitfulness looks like. In Matthew 3, 8, fruitfulness is people turning away from sin and evil. In Matthew 7, 16 through 20, fruit is evidence of sincere trust and belief in Jesus. In Romans 1, 13, fruit is sharing the gospel with people and people trusting Jesus. In Romans 6, 22, fruit is growing in holiness, walking in purity, and living a life for God's pleasure and not your own. 
In Romans 15, 28, fruit is taking care of the needs of others monetarily, spiritually, justice, relationally, and emotionally. In Galatians 5, fruit is displaying Christ-like character through the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, take this in, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, I'm not done. In Colossians 1, 6, it says fruit is the uh, spiritual and numerical growth of the church, not bigger buildings, but making more disciples. In Colossians 1.10, fruit is serving others, giving our time, our treasures, and talents to others. In Hebrews 13.15, fruit is praising God with our mouths. It's an outward expression of an inward worship. What I'm saying, this ain't even exhaustive, y'all. But this is what God calls fruit. God is trying to produce godliness in your life. If you're truly attached to Jesus, you should live like Jesus. And his character and purpose should be your character and your purpose. Philippians 2.13 says it like this. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. The fruit we produce is from God, but it also is for God. To serve his purposes. Producing fruit is not about making you look good. It's not ornamental so you can be flashy. Amen. It's about pointing people to Jesus. The only reason why Jesus wants you to get more followers is so you can get more followers. You can give him more followers. He doesn't care about your popularity, but popularity isn't bad. Being wealthy isn't bad. Success isn't bad. But that's not the fruit that God is calling you to produce. It's not. And if you say it is, I'll tell you a lie. Amen. Um, he wants you to live godly, and guess what he does? Because he's the vine dresser. He does everything for you to live that way. So that's what he does. He takes away, and then what he does, and he prunes. Now, when he says take away, that can leave us a little confused, because in the Greek, it's an interesting word. It's translated as take away or lift up. Many scholars are now believing that lift up is a better translation. The scripture clearly states that both branches are in me. Again, they are both believers, and the scripture never states that unbelievers can be in Christ. The second reason is it would contradict the work of the vine dresser that he does on the vine. It's the vine dresser's job to help give the potential to produce fruit. See, in ancient Israel, it was covered with grapevines. And so because they, it was covered with grapevines, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Amen? And so sometimes as the grapes would grow, they would grow on the ground and they wouldn't produce fruit. But Jesus said that what the vine dresser does is lift them up. So they can what? Produce fruit. They can start to produce fruit. Here's, I, I love this because I love what Tony Evans had to say. He said, God takes them away from the ground by lifting them up. God will therefore make you fruitful by lifting you up, encouraging you, and motivating you. The goal for the vine dresser is to get the most out of the branch. He will do everything possible for you to begin to produce fruit in your life. A good farmer does not give up on his crops. It's their livelihood. Jesus doesn't give up on you. God doesn't give up on you. If you are his, he is going to work in your life to produce fruit. Don't resist him. Don't give your, don't give your body as instruments for evil, but instruments for righteousness. To lift up means to encourage and to motivate. Encouragement isn't just empty compliments. It's how we bring people face to face to Jesus. What I'm saying is God's work through his church is to help lift each other up, to help each other stay connected to Jesus. I love the story of the paralytic in Scripture. Why? 
Because these people saw his brokenness, their friend's brokenness. They were so desperate to get him to Jesus that they climbed up a building and lowered him so he could get in contact and encounter Jesus. This is what God desires from his church. That we would notice each other's brokenness and we would intentionally help one another and do everything possible to bring one another face to face to Jesus so they could experience each other. Jesus, God's desire is to nurture and put you in a nurturing environment where Christ is exalted and he is the center of that community where you are being encouraged through God's word to believe and to trust in Jesus. Some of y'all are so busy hanging out with the wrong people and they're not doing anything to, to minister to your soul for you to trust Jesus. Yes, you have fun together. Yes, you make money together. Amen. That's a good thing, ain't it? You, you get deep about your struggles, don't you? you got similar interests and you bond over those things. But there is no encouragement for your soul. Is that the relationship that God wants you to press into? Some of y'all, the only time you actually look like Jesus at the center of your life is when you show up here today on Sunday. And that's not a jab at anybody. But your life is so filled with other people pushing you in the direction not to give Jesus your heart, not to live with Jesus or pursue Jesus. And sadly, some, and this is real, I'm going to be honest here, this is hurtful, even to think about it. Those who are stuck in abusive environments, they're stuck there and they're hurting or they just came out of them. And God is calling you to be around people who will help you heal. To encourage you to know that Jesus has healing for you. What I'm getting at, God does whatever is possible to put you in a position so you can get some encouragement. So you can be motivated. So you can be in a place where you are are nurtured to bear fruit. But he also prunes. So this is what it says here in our text. God wants you to continue to increase in godliness. Your potential to grow is greater than you realize. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for, hey, I'm, I'm bearing a little fruit. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Want to grow increasingly in bearing fruit. So let, let me give you an example. Hey, it's not, and I'm not, this is not judgment. Yeah, you shared your faith once this year. How about trying to share your faith once a month now? How about start to, maybe once a week now? How about come to evangelism training and try to get equipped, Right? so that you know what to say and how to pursue people. Maybe you need to be around encouraging people who can help you do that. But here's the thing, God prunes. He wants you to flourish, and he does, he does what he needs to do to make you flourish. As a black man, I'm going to speak as a black man now because I can because I am. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you noticed that. One of my requirements for my barber is, and I'm going to be honest with you, you know, this is a requirement. I'm not saying this is a reality for me all the time. Is that they desire for me to look amazing. I want my barber to care about my haircut more than I care about my haircut. I want him to care about my line and not push me back. He's, I want my barber to look at me like, mm, mm, yeah, symmetrical. I like that. I want them to be passionate about my haircut. Amen, brothers? So I'm, I need some help. I don't want my barber to be okay with me having a crooked hairline or my, or my fade not fully blended. If I see a line in my head going around my head, uh-uh, no, you don't care about me. 
I need a barber when he, when he or she cuts. Amen. They want me to be the best version of myself. When God prunes you, he's pruning you to be the best version of yourself. Amen. When God prunes you, he does it with precision. He cares about every little detail. He loves the lineup to look real good on you because he wants you to look good for his glory. Amen. When God prunes, he does it with the utmost care and love for you. God's greatest concern is that you continue to produce fruit. Producing, uh, pruning is necessary because it brings life and it, and it continues the life of the, of the plant or the, the branch. So, so it can reach its full potential. The Greek word for prune, I mean, well, the, the word, uh, uh, Greek word for prune also means cleanse and purge. God is cleansing you of anything in your life that is hindering you from experiencing him so that you can bear more fruit. Our problem is we don't trust God's loving hand and, and that he knows exactly what he's doing. God will only cut what is necessary. He won't push you back. Amen? But that sounds scary, doesn't it? Man, you know, one of the most scariest things is actually being in a barber chair and somebody having a, 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 a razor behind you. In the same way, we are scared of God's hands. Even though we say he's careful, we don't trust him, right? Some of y'all biggest fear is that God is going to remove from your life something that, it, that you feel is too painful to give up for God. There are things in your life that you have an unhealthy relationship and attachment to. Amen or oh me. That is draining you of life. That's not giving you life. And it's not producing godliness. You resist God from cutting you because you don't believe you can live without it. Or he will provide whatever you need to sustain you. You don't trust him because you really don't believe he loves you. Or, he would, or you, you, don't, you don't trust him because you believe if he did love you, he would give you whatever you want. And he wouldn't make your life painful. Even though he's trying to cut out all things that are harming you. What I'm saying is, if, we are, if we're going to live as Christians, are we going to believe in Jesus? We've got to realize that we have spiritual trauma bonds. Amen or oh me. We live dependent and attached to things that are harming your relationship with God. Here's, a, here's some questions for you. What are things that are potentially harmful that you don't believe God, that you can live without? Are there things that God is cutting away that's pushing you to hate and resent God? Are there things in your life that you'd rather have more than God? Here's what I'm saying. God allows pain in your life to loosen your grip on things so you can, you can have a grip on him. I'm going to say this, and I want to say it to your faces. I want to look at you and I say this. You cannot hold on to these things in life and hold on to God because your hands are too full. You need to loosen things, loosen your hands on those things so you can grip on to God. He cleanses you of things that keep you from living dependent on him and hindering your growth. God doesn't want you to need anything more than you need him. God's intent is never to harm you, but to use things that hurt you, that might hurt, to accomplish this person. That's what it says in James 1, uh, 2 through 4. It says, consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Some of you are going through hard and difficult situations right now. You're in a drought season. You feel like God is abandoning you. You feel like, man, nobody loves me. Nobody's caring for me. I'm in a wilderness place. So that he does that so you, he would be your only source of nutrients, that he would be the center of your life. I love what Pastor Richard said a few weeks ago. God will not share you with your idols. 
There is no other place you can run to find life, people, and find nourishment apart from Jesus. Jesus has given us union with God so that we can have the potential to produce fruit. But we need communion with God to continue. And we need communion with God to continue to produce fruit. My second point, and this is my last point, and I'll be out your way. It's going to be a short point. The process, this is the process to fruitfulness. The process to bearing fruit is continual communion with Christ. You know, as y'all know, my wife is from Mississippi, and every time I get to share it, I'll share it. Amen? Because I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and Mississippi is just fun, right? (laughs) Y'all don't believe me, but just go there and go in the middle of nowhere, and you try to, uh, you know, survive for your your dear life. Amen? (laughs) Um, So Sandy being from the rural south, um, there's no such thing as walking to a store. I want to make sure that's clear. Uh, If you're going to go to a store, it's at least... 30 to 40 minutes, it feels like away, amen? You're going miles. It's like 10 to 20 miles away, right? And so here's, here's the thing, though, man. One time, me and Sandy, we went on an adventure, and I love going on adventures with this woman. She is so fun to go on adventures with. And, and, but one of the things is true. Um, a GPS is a must in Mississippi. You better have a connection to some cell service. Sometimes we went to, you know, get some stuff, uh, and it was about an hour, an hour away. And so I remember we were fine when we got there. We were fine on our way. But when we got back on that car, boy, we ain't had no service. And you know, you know, in this day and age, don't nobody carry no maps or nothing like that. No, we ain't that. We ain't those people. We ain't survival, survival Bob or nothing like that, amen? And so what I did was I, I started driving because that's what a man does, amen? <laughs> we just say, we, I need service. I'm going to find it. Sandy looking at me, oh, and I'm like, baby, I'm going to get us out of this. That's my job. And we went in the wrong direction for 30 minutes <laughs> until we picked up a signal. And then, then that's when I realized, oh, man, I'm going in the wrong direction because I lost connection. If you lose connection to Jesus, you get lost. You go in the wrong direction. You're going in the wrong direction that God wants you headed in your life. God wants you to produce fruit in your life. That's the direction you're headed. When you lose connection to Jesus, you're not going to go in that direction. You need to stay connected to Jesus so you can live godly in this life. Jesus has given us the only way we can persevere and we can hang on, that we can hold on, not to for our bare lives, but we can flourish and we can thrive. Do you think Jesus just wants you holding on for your bare life? No. He wants you to feel, be filled with resilience and hope. He doesn't want you to sit here thinking, man, I'm just holding on, God. Please, God, just help me. He wants you desperate, yes. But he wants you to know, man, God, I am only reason I'm here is because of you. And I'm thriving because of you, God. Verse three, 4 and 5, that's what it's communicating. Apart from Jesus, you will not get where God is taking you to a fruitful life. You need to stay connected to God to live a, 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 a godly life, or, or Jesus to, to live a godly life. So when I say stay connected, I want to be clear, though. Scripture says once and for all, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are permanently connected. I'm talking about communion and fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus is essential to how we grow, how we flourish in this life. We cannot, after experiencing God's love and his goodness and his grace through the gospel, Stop leaning on Jesus to live his life. I know so many Christians who try to live independent lives from Jesus rather than dependent, and their lives show it. Eventually, they crash out. They try to produce fruit in their own strength. 
They try to start leaving legalistic, meaning they try to earn God's approval by the way they live. And their lives are filled with guilt, shame, regret, because they keep messing up and they keep failing. They don't live knowing they are fully loved and fully accepted. You know the evidence of, of being, knowing that you're fully loved and fully accepted is when you bear fruit. Why does this happen? Why do people live this way? Because they're not communing with Jesus. What these, these verses are saying is apart from Jesus, don't expect to live a healthy, vibrant Christian life. Don't expect to thrive. God is calling every Christian to flourish. He does everything possible to make sure this happens so you don't feel stuck, you don't feel in and out of depression, that you don't feel frustrated. He does this. He doesn't want you to, let me say this. He doesn't want you to live your life through the lens of, of, of trauma and pain and brokenness. He wants you to thrive. And yes, God does the heavy lifting, but he asks you to make one thing a priority. And what is that? To remain to make every effort to remain. A Christian's only hope to continually producing fruit in their life is the process of abiding. The Greek word here, you know, it says remain in our text, but the, other, the Greek word here is meno, which it means to remain, to stay, to stand fast, to dwell, to abide, to continue to, continue to wait, to last, to endure, be permanent. It means to make your home in Christ, be organically and intimately connected in fellowship with Jesus, to dwell in his presence, to make him your refuge. It means to live and experience him through a symbiotic relationship. I love that word, symbiotic. Y'all say it with me, symbiotic, amen. Y'all seen the blue beetle, right, recently? That beetle attaching to himself. Y'all know venom, right? That beetle, that, that thing, whatever that is, that alien attached themselves to him, and they become a symbiotic being with Peter Parker or the other guy. Amen? Uh, maybe that's not a good example because we, 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 we watch movies, yeah, but we don't, we don't even see those movies. What about the Holy Spirit? When you came to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt you. He filled your life up. And now you have a symbiotic relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's talking to you. Are you listening? He wants you to experience God. Are you experiencing God with him, through him? Here's what I want you all to know, man. God wants us to experience him with our hearts. That means our thoughts, emotions, and our actions. To love, the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us is to love the Lord your God with all the heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We are to have a full experience with Jesus, an embodied experience. Experience Jesus is more than just coming to a Sunday gathering. It's more than just raising your hand during this worship experience. It's living daily with God, living daily with Jesus. For many of us, that sounds desirable, and you wanted this, but you lack clear direction on how to obtain this experience. Jesus fleshes this out in the rest of the text. But I love what Robert Chung said. He said this. He said, we abide in Christ when we receive, pray, and obey his word by faith and through the power of the Spirit. We see this in verse 7 through, nine, uh, through 10. In seven, verse 7, it says, You remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. I love what the Windows and Mirrors podcast tagline is. It says, The Bible is like a window. You don't come to a, a window for the purpose of looking at yourself. We come to the Bible primarily to see God. Amen? We experience God through his word. That's how he wants to experience. We experience him through his story, and he tells his story to us through the word so that we can see our story in light of God's story. 
Abiding means experiencing life through the lens of God's story in the Bible, but most of all, experiencing life through the victory of Jesus Christ had on the cross. Amen? All of life is colored by the gospel, it should be, and everything Jesus has done for us in his life and his life to come. And God wants us to communicate with him. He knows that prayer is about communicating with him. And so we want to pray his word. We want to live in a good relationship. And that means in every good relationship, what? Communication is a very key thing. So God's saying, I want to communicate to you through my word, but also I want you to communicate to me through prayer. Abiding is about good communication through his word. Amen? What I'm saying, one of the most important aspects of truly experiencing God is a faithful prayer life and devotional time to living dependent on Jesus. Prayer is pouring our heart out to God and reading his scripture is God responding by pouring his heart out into ours. Your experience with God is intimately, is intimately and actively obeying him as well. That's what it says in verse 9 through 10. It tells us to remain in his love. It means to obey his commands. When me and Sandy got engaged, we had some conflict. And, and, one of the, and we had a lot of conflict. I don't know what about engagement brings about conflict, but we did. So I called on my pastor because I was a good Christian. I did the right thing because, Sandy, excuse this word, you were driving me crazy. Um, and, and I was mad, but guess what my pastor did? Just like any good counselor, he shows you the error of your way, not the other person. Take that for free. Um, and so I saw the error of my way, and, and he said, go to Sandy and ask her. I said, ask her what, man? What can I do to make you feel more loved? That's game. That's Riz. And that what y'all call it, Riz? Amen. I said, I'm going to do it, Pastor. And I did it. And guess what? She asked me to do something I didn't want to do. Amen. That's what happens. So here's the thing. If you truly love somebody and they ask you to do something, you do it. God, God says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commands. And this is what God wants for us. To truly have fellowship with God, we obey him. When you obey God, it's an invitation to have fellowship with him, to live for him, to live with, for him, to live with him. When you obey God, it's a call to trust him and experience his presence in the process. I, I think about this when I look at Jesus' life. I love to look at Jesus' life because while Jesus was on earth, he lived consistently in fellowship with the Father. This included his journey to the cross. Jesus shows God above his own comfort here on earth. We see this in the wilderness experience. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but what? By every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We see this in how he loved and how he cared for so many by healing and miracles. We see this ultimately in the garden when he was obedient to God, even to the point of going to the cross for our sins. Remember, Jesus asked this question, God, if it's possible, could you remove this cup from me? But Jesus ultimately knew, not my will, but yours be done. Obedience. Jesus abided even through the most difficult circumstances in life as he endured the cross and being separated from the Father from the first time. What did he still do? He prayed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He still cried out and prayed. He still looked for communion with God. And that's what Jesus gives us. He gives us access through himself to God so that we can have communion with him. To be Jesus' disciple is to follow in his example. 
by living in communion with God. To live a fruitful life, we must make our home in him and live with him. Here's the thing I want to communicate. I want to continue to communicate. You cannot do it by yourself. You can't. God has given you the potential to live a godly life through union with Jesus, and the process is through communion with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit and your word. Thank you for your your guidance and your gift of your word. Thank you for your presence in our life through your son, Jesus. God, I am enamored by what you have done. Even in the life of this church, you you are the one who's empowered this church. But Lord, we ask and we've confessed, Lord, we have to confess we have not lived like we, are, we have your power. Because we would see more life change. And I'm not complaining about what we see, God, because you have been, see, we have seen fruit in this church. But God, we're not settling. So God, produce in us more fruit so that we can produce much fruit. Let your Holy Spirit have his way so that we would do exactly what you have called us to do. It's in Jesus' name, amen.